Shalach. And anticipating the uh, ones that are going to sign on to Skype. Again, it's Yitzchok.hecht2. And this Shabbos is also Yud Shvat. A very special and auspicious day in Chabad. Pash B'Shalach is very, very interesting in that it encompasses many, many different Lessons, shall we say. Since Torah is Lashon Heira'o, Torah is a Lashon of a lesson. The word Torah means a lesson. It comes from the word of Heira'o, a lesson. Since Torah is Lashon Heira'o, we don't say it's a story. The Jews were in Egypt. It's not a story. The Jews left Egypt. It's not a story. The all the happenings of Avram, of Yitzchak, of Yaakov, and everything else that went on, that's stories that are coming to tell us something, that are just letting us read and reread and reread the selling of Yosef, the Jews going to Mitzrayim, the Jews leaving Mitzrayim, and all the other things that transpire that don't sound like laws are not just stories. Technically, when I read a pasuk, like ve'ela hamishpatim ashetosim lefnehem, these are the mishpatim, the rule. I can relate to that being a law. I can relate to that being something that has to do with law and deal with law and deal with Torah and deal with how I have to behave. When I read the Ten Commandments. Don't steal, don't kill, don't do... I understand. You're giving me laws. You're teaching me laws. But when I read Abraham taking Isaac to the Akedah, or I read how the Jews ended up slaves in Egypt, or even if it's the story of Joseph as a king in Egypt, and Joseph's sale and the way he got to Egypt, etc., etc., I read all these things, they're a story. And if their story, the question immediately comes to to mind. I read it last year. Why am I reading it again this year? Elamai. We must say, not we must say, we must understand, therefore, that the word Torah is Lashen Hora'ah. Lashen of a word, it comes derived from the concept of Hora'ah. It's a lesson to us. And therefore, everything that is written in any one of the five books of the Torah are a Hora'ah. Starting with the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because the Torah actually asked a question last week. When the Torah starts, this is, your, this is what Rosh Chodesh has to be. That's technically the first time any mitzvah is mentioned. And the reason that the mitzvah is being mentioned is because that's the first place it talks about the mitzvah of Rosh Chodesh. But that's the first mitzvah. And at that point, Rashi actually asked the question. Torah should have started over here. This is where Torah should have started. With the first mitzvah. Why is... Everything else is everything else actually superfluous? Is actually a story? Then why do we reread it every year? And why is it so relevant to us? So let us examine the, let us say first, on face value, the stories of this week's parasha, and then let us try to analytically explain, understand 
how there are lessons to us in life and how there are lessons to us that we have to learn each and every day. After ten plagues in the last two Pashas, the ten plagues that are placed on the Egyptians, that are thrown on the Egyptians, that are um, imposed on the Egyptians, after the ten plagues, Pari finally acquiesces, Nat would like that word, he acquiesces to let the Jews go. He's ready to let them leave. Wonderful. Moses, Moshe on the other hand, Moshe, our master, our teacher, Moshe, doesn't find it so easy. He went to the Jews and told them that you can, we can leave Egypt, and the Jews said, eh, I'm not so sure. I'm not so ready. I don't know if I'm so interested. What's in it for me? Is the yeah. typical Jewish question. But the Jew always is in that way inclined. I told the story before, the famous story of the two beggars in the park. One was a big, beautiful rabbi sitting with his plate in front of him. And one was a priest sitting with the same type of plate in front of him. Needless to say, in the park, past many, many anti-Semitic people. And they weren't necessarily very charitable people. But they felt that if there's a rabbi here, and I could rid him, I could make him feel, I'm going to do it. So they didn't only give regularly, like if they would happen to give, decide to give charity, they were going to give generously, but not to the rabbi. They gave the rabbi a single dollar and they gave the priest a hundred dollar bill. And this was quite humiliating to see, you know, you're giving, you want to give me one and you give him two. You want to give me a five and give him a ten. Okay. But I get a single and he gets a hundred. It's, it's, that's, that's quite... And this went on throughout the day. And throughout the day, I mean a day. Full day worth of this, this, this insults. And the rabbi at this point was sitting with maybe even 150, they were sitting in a popular spot. He had 150, 200 dollars. And for each single that he had, the priest had a 100 dollar bill. So do the numbers, do the math, as we say in America. And um, there was a yidl, an alta yidl sitting and watching this all day long. Finally he couldn't take anyone. He walked over and he says, the rabbi, he says, you speak Yiddish? He says, yes. You want to know how to make money? He says, me, you tell me. Zugma, he says, they gave him geld. Put dress yourself like the priest. And they'll give you money too. Look, they gave the priest so much money. Hey, the rabbi gives a krecht. And he turns to the priest and he ribs him and he says in Yiddish, Moshe, a villain's land of Yitzhak in Gelt. Moshe, he wants to teach us how to make money. <laughs> so the Jews in Egypt were under the assumption that this was a life. And this was already, they accepted to what they were at. And therefore it was very difficult for them to just pick up and leave what they had what they've established, what they built. And you don't know who squirreled what away, who put away money, who... You, know, you don't know what really happened there. So they were a little re- reluctant, as we say. He's looking for scissors. My brother was looking for scissors. So, Ba'ayim, and they're leaving Egypt. Technically, there are certain terms that are used in the Torah. There are terms for happiness, terms for sad things, for depression, oppressive. When it comes to a very happy thing, the Pasuk starts, Vehaya, 
how great it's going to be for us. The word Vahaya is used when it comes to good, happy occasions. When there are sad moments, the Pasuk starts Vayihi. Vayihi bimeach hashverosh. Vayihi acharad varimeir. Different things that happen that are sad to Jews. So the question immediately is Vayihi bishalach paro. It should be Vahaya bishalach paro. What happier occasions did the Jews are leaving Egypt? Why Vayihi? Why the sad connotation? Yeah. Because Bishalach Paro, the Jews were not going to leave full heartedly until Paro threw them out. There was such the reluctance. So it wasn't because they wanted. So they're being forced. They're being told that you're going out of Mitzrayim to get the Torah and to go to the Promised Land, and there was still something there that was really to stay behind. This is therefore Vayihi. The sad point is Bishalach Par, they only left because Parai threw them out. This is a problem. This indeed is a problem. And it's something that had to be dealt with. We look through the Pasha, so therefore we start with the story of the Jews leaving Egypt. And it's an experience. Then we go on and we read about the Jews arriving at the Yamsuf. They arrive at the Red Sea or the Sea of Reed or Reed Sea or whatever you want to call this the sea. This the sea that they came to. And very interesting stories happen here. A lot of confusion, havoc wreaks over here. And people are getting very, very edgy. And then something transpires, we're going to go into moment soon. Something transpires, and the sea splits, and they cross the sea. Comes another episode. The Jews sing a shira, which is one of the ten songs that are sung in the Jewish history. Nine are mentioned already in the Torah and the Vimeksuvim, and the tenth will be sung when Mashiach comes. Not the tenth. And then the Jews at this epitome, this high, wonderful level of the zenith, the zenith of, of, of happiness and of joy and of spirituality ready to go to take the Torah start complaining we're hungry they start complaining we're thirsty what will we drink and they came to a place that says the Torah tells us Vayavayu marasa. They came to a place that was called Maratha. Why was it called Maratha? Because the water was undrinkable. They could not drink the water because it was bitter. So it was called Mara. And they started to complain. And they got lost there. says, well, I'm dealing with an issue here. These people, they don't, they don't say, okay, how do we pray to God now for sweet water, for good water? Where's their faith? Where's their belief? Where's their, all of a sudden, boom, from one end of the pendulum to the other, in the the peak of Emuna, and they jump to the other extreme. And they take wood, and they throw the wood. David tells them, God tells them, throw the wood into the water, the water becomes sweet, and they drink the water. What are we going to eat? Comes the man. They start getting the manna. And they start complaining. Man is wonderful. Davai, give me something else. Give me something to eat. You know, it's a very interesting thing. Jews at all time. I want to wait. A few people said they're signing on. I got to wait till they sign on. If you are signing on.
So they come to mother, then they all of a sudden are complaining again, and they have to be given the slav again, in the form of meat. And then they, after that, they have the, they, they have the problem within the mana itself. The different people that try to conjure up, we'll discuss the different things they try to do. And then we have the story of Shabbat. They get the mitzvah of Shabbat, and they start to travel and they start to go forward. And along comes Amalek. And Amalek attacks them. And at this point, the war of Amalek finishes off, and our Pasha comes to an end with the commandment, remember what Amalek did to you, and eradicate their name for generations, forever and ever. So, we've run ourselves now into a, a myriad of stories. One on top of the other, one story more than the other. One story on top of the other. And we're having a wonderful, wonderful experience of one thing after the other. Now we run into the explanation. Where do we find, and how do we find, and what do we find to explain how all this is actually a lesson in our lives? We said right away that we have to remember that when God sends, when God gives us a blessing, we have to appreciate the blessing. We have to appreciate why, how, what, when, and where, the value of every single blessing. And if God said we're going to leave Mitzrayim, which are Mitzarim Ugvulim, all the boundaries, the restrictions under which the Jews were not able to practice their religion, the Jews have to acquiesce, the Jews have to immediately accept this. It comes to the Yamsuf, the most awkward conversations come about. The Jews split into four camps. Can I have it? The Jews split into four camps. One camp says, we're in problems here, we have a problem here. Hey Shlomo, you're on. You don't have it? Ask mommy where it is. Someone use it. Okay, I don't hear you because if you talk, then you're going to come back on the recording here. So that's why we leave it off. Okay? So I don't really hear you. You can wave and tell me high and low. <laughs> okay. We're discussing the different mitzvahs that we get presented in this parsha, the different lessons that we have in this parsha. 
One of which is a very, very interesting story that takes place in the story of the Mon. The Jews are fed Mon. The Jews are fed mon. The Jews are given clouds to protect them. The clouds don't only just protect them, but the clouds gave them their clothing was washed. The clouds helped them. The children grew with the clouds. Every, the clouds took care of them. everything that they needed was taken care of by these clouds question is in that case where does charity come in we can't neglect any one of our given mitzvahs if we can't neglect mitzvahs then where does charity come into play how does a person give charity <laughs> how does a person welcome I should speak to this year <laughs> now you're just going to sit just like that He's not interested in anything now else except for Zadie's beard. Oh, maybe yes. So where does charity come into play? Watch the wire. I should see. Not a happy camper. You have to leave. If the people were given mana to eat and everyone had the taste of whatever they wanted to eat. If a fellow wanted to taste chicken, they taste the chicken. If they wanted to taste fish... So in that case, where does charity come to play? Um, I don't know where your boundaries, all those are listening here, in your uh, food palate has reached. I will tell you that my food palate is very, very limited. I'm not very, very uh, savvy in different cuisines. And I'm definitely not an adventurous eater. When it comes to eating whatever it is I'm given, you know, I try to very picky and very, very... Uh, sure. So, you know, the chicken and potatoes of, of yesteryear, and sometimes a piece of meat or a hot dog or a piece of burger. I had people, I've had occasion that said, Rabbi, did you taste sushi? And the answer is always no. I don't like sushi. How do you know? I don't. I don't know. I don't know if I... Originally, when it came on the market, sushi, the word sushi was raw fish. This is not floating my boat because I don't eat fish in a, good, in a good mood. I'm not eating it raw for sure. So, when it came to eating raw fish, I said, forget it, sushi is not going to be my forte. The ra- where's the card? Whoa, 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 whoa. Hi. Uh-huh. So when I was introduced, to, when I'm introduced to a different food, I don't appreciate. When a man that has lived on potato peels on, on bread scrub bread crumbs bread crusts and unfortunately lives a poor life if he's invited to a steak dinner like they say in America he doesn't know how to hold a knife and fork doesn't even know how to hold a knife and fork will he appreciate this steak dinner oh the other name yes or no the question is, we where'd you go? The question becomes, what's your connection? Your video connection? Your uh, internet connection not strong enough? The question becomes, what happens if I if someone describes to this poor man the taste of steak and describes it to him in such a way that he feels it in his mouth? He's never eaten one before. But when you have the power of description, you can describe something sometimes to somebody. They can describe paradise. Describe 
Las Vegas. Describe Curacao, Aruba, some gorgeous island. To describe this, the person loves and gets... When the man was sitting and eating the man, he was eating man, and what was he tasting? Whatever he wanted to taste. Yeah, filter fish. Well, what do you understand? I understand a little bit of, I don't know, in Egypt, what do they have already? Give me anyone an Egyptian food. I don't know. Came the rich man, and he told him, Rebbe, don't be foolish. You can taste, while you're eating the same one that I'm eating, you can taste steak. This is, what steak? Ah... And he starts and he describes him the whole thing of steak. And he describes the succulent steak and they're biting into that meat and this juice so comes out. And he it's mouth-watering. So now this fellow all of a sudden develops a, a want for a steak. He develops want for a steak and all of a sudden he takes the mun and he eats this thing, he eats mun. He's eating steak. How much happier is he than when he was eating only chicken? In essence, he's not. It's the same. Let's get real. But, he has made him feel on a higher level. And this is a form of tzedakah, says the Torah. So even in the mud we find just such a mitzvah. I want to interrupt a little bit the Pasha for a second to discuss this Shabbos, the Yud Shvat. The tenth day of Shvat. The day after the ninth day of Shvat. Which is also a very, very nice day. And we'll discuss it. We won't discuss it actually, but it's Yud Shvat this Shabbos. Yud Shvat is the anniversary of the passing of the previous Babi Shrebe. And the day that a year later our Rebbe took the mantle of being Rebbe. In the beginning, the Rebbe was very reluctant about doing such a thing, taking the mantle. But on Yushvat, the Rebbe repeated the Maimer of Bossi Lagani, which is the Maimer that the Friedrich Rebbe, the last Maimer the Friedrich Rebbe left for this world, and therefore the Rebbe became our Rebbe. A fellow came to the Rebbe, he was supposed to go be drafted to the Korean War. And he came into the Rebbe, and he came begging and crying, and said, Rebbe, help! I'm in trouble. Rebbe, I must tell you though, I don't like Chassidim. I don't like Chabad. I don't like Lubavitch. But, I'm in trouble. And I'm coming to use out what I can. So the Rebbe asked him, you have any problem with your teeth? He starts to laugh at the Rebbe. So I never had a problem with my teeth. I don't even have a filling. I have the best, strongest teeth you've met. I have letters, though, that I have a liver problem, a kidney problem, but this problem, I have letters from doctors to get me out of the draft. But my teeth, I have nothing to say. Rebbe says, go there, tell them you have a problem with your teeth. Fellow comes to the draft board the next morning. It's drafty in the draft board. It's cold. And he comes before the man. And the guy's got him. Ah, this letter is no good. This is not good. That's not good. And he's about to sign, seal, and deliver this guy to the army. And he's about to stamp it, and the guy reminds himself what the Rebbe told him. And he says, but I have a problem with my teeth. The guy starts to scream at him. Why didn't you say this till now? And he says, uh, he says, uh, all of a sudden you woke up, you know what, we have a dentist here, he's going to check you. And he sends him right away to the dentist's office. The guy said, I'm in trouble now. And he comes into the dentist's office, and the dentist looks at his paperwork. Goldberg, huh? Jew. You Jews. You do anything to get something free. Now you want to join the army so you can get free dentists? I'm not going to touch you, you Jew, you swine. I'm going to, not only that, I'm not going to make sure you don't serve. 
so you don't become enlisted in the army. And he stamps his papers. He's unfit to be in the army, and he throws. Him. <laughs> he came back to the Rebbe to thank the Rebbe. The secretary had told him if everybody came back to thank the Rebbe personally, the Rebbe would never get anything done. It's not happening. You can't go in. So he said, What do I do? They said, Write a letter. So he wrote a thank you letter to the Rebbe. And when the secretary had brought in the letter, the Rebbe looked at it. The Rebbe told him, My father in law, the previous Rebbe, was not happy, would never do a miracle openly. It's always in a way that people can interpret and can translate and can twist it and contort it, that they should think that it's something natural happened. I too would never do this. But here I was in a situation where this guy needed an open miracle, and he wasn't a believer anyway. So I had to show him that there's an idea of miracles that can take place. And therefore, he said, the Rebbe said, he did a miracle. This week's Pasha we also meet where the Jews sing the Shira, the splitting of the Red Sea. We started to discuss before the four camps that the Jews developed when they arrived at the Red Sea. One camp said, we're crazy, we don't belong here, let's jump into the sea and kill ourselves. Better than going back to Egypt. The next camp said, let's go back to Egypt. The third camp said, let's fight the Egyptians. And the fourth said, let's pray to God. Let's pray to God. And then we look at the example, the answers that Moshe gives them. And he answers them all at once. And Moshe tells them, Stand firm. And see the salvation that God will give you, they'll do for you today. This is the first group. Calm down, chill out, don't go continue, don't know suicide missions, don't go jump in the lake. Just sit still. Sit, sit tight and you'll see God save you. Then that same passage, Moshe continues. The way you see the Egyptians today, you will never see them again. So don't worry, you're not going back to Egypt. It's not happening. You're not going to see Egypt or Egyptians in power. Then he continues. Hashem yilachem lachem. You guys who want to go war, God will fight your battles. And then he finishes Vatem. And you guys who stand here want to go praying, Tacharishun. Be quiet. Now, just for the record, there are those that want to translate this Pasik Hashem Yelachim Lachem. It refers to Davening and Shul. Those who sit in Daven, they want to fight around during Davening. And they argue during Davening and they fight. Hashem Yelachim Lachem. God takes care of your battles. Atem Tacharishun. You're sitting in Shul. Shah. Be quiet. Don't make noise. <laughs> Sit quietly and show. God's reaction to Moshe's answers, Vayomer Hashem Moshe, Why are they screaming? Let us examine the four camps, the split between the Jews. What were they thinking? The returning to Egypt, are they off their minds? They're not ready to return to Egypt. It's in a washing machine. Are they ready to return to Egypt? They're not ready to return to Egypt. When they really want to commit suicide, it also makes no sense. How does it look? The Jews, in essence, said, I'm willing to sacrifice my life. Jump to water. Water represents Torah. I'll jump totally into my Torah. I'll drop everything else in life. I'll do nothing else but sit and study Torah and pray. If that's how God wants it to be. And Moshe said, that's not the way to go. You have to be a person. There's a work day, there's a, a this that has to, everything that has to happen in the course of a life. Messias Nefesh is beautiful. When it comes to an actual mitzvah, you have to go the nine yards. 
but everything has to work in the world. Those who wanted to return to Egypt didn't just want to go return to Egypt to become slaves. Were they crazy? After all these years? What happened? No. They wanted to say, let's go back to Egypt and to grind them to the ground entirely. If they're still coming after us, if they still think that we belong to them, we didn't do a good job nullifying them. We have to return to Egypt and finish them off. This is called this hapcha, turning everything around in the world. It's also not your mission. Your mission is to live and to exist and to slightly coexist. Then you have the ones that said, let's go to war with them. The one that has the attitude of being, of nullifying the opposite side that faces him. I'm going to not just beat my opponent, I'm going to destroy my opponent. Who is the opponent? The opponent is the Yetzirah. Our mission, and this is what we say in today's Tanya actually, our mission is to get the Yetzirah on board, not to get the Yetzirah under the board. And ultimately, let's cry out to God. That's the typical thing. Let's cry out, pray, and unite with God itself. What happens though? They all shut up. Atam Tachrish, they shut up. But Moshe says that God said, so. Go. So what happened here? All the four camps went on again. so now you're telling us. Ah, what does he mean, so we should travel? One camp said he means go back to Egypt. One camp says let's go to war. One camp says it means let's go to the water. One fellow, Nachshon ben Aminadov, said, the Rebbe said, so. We are going to Matan Torah. That's the idea. The name of the day, the Matan Torah, to go to get the Torah. Let's go. Vayiso. And started to walk. And he started to walk into the Yamsuf. And as he got to his neck, the Yamsuf splits. How, what, when transpired the actual Mesirat Nefesh, the self-abnegation that he showed, not just for himself, but because his teacher, Moshe Rabbeinu, told him to do this, that's what brought about the wonderful miracle of the splitting of the Red Sea. But we find one of the most phenomenal expressions. The Red Sea splits... The Jews go across, and the Torah tells us, and we have to say this according to Shulchan Aruch, we have to mention this story twice a day, and we say it in the morning in Shacharit, and in the evening of Ma'aravit, about the crossing of the Red Sea. In the morning we actually read these psukim, we say, Az Yashir Moshe, then Moshe sang. Now, I don't know, if looking here in the sequences of what went on in the psukim, What's us? Us means it had to coincide with something that transpired. What physically transpired here that then Moshe decided to sing? The Jews, I understand, they saw miracles. Moshe, he's the servant of God. He's about to spend 120 days in heaven. No eating, no sleeping. 120 days, days and nights. What made him sing? Az Yashir Moshe. So we look to the Pasuk directly before it. The Pasuk directly before Az Yashir Moshe says, Vayiruam, and the nation saw, Vayaminu, and they believed therefore, Bashem in God, over Moshe Avdo, and in Moshe his servant. Very powerful expression. They believed in God? I understand. They believed in Moshe? In a person? It's a little awkward. We look back before the episode of any of the plagues, before Moshe comes to visit Egypt, Moshe has a visit with a burning bush. No, he was not in the White House. 
he visits, he gets a visit by a burning, a burning bush from God. And God tells him, go redeem the Jews. And Moshe says, Him They're not going to believe me. You're asking something that's not my realm. They won't believe me. God punished Moshe for Lashon Hara. You are speaking Lashon Hara on my Jews. You are telling me that my Jews will not believe? If I tell you, go speak to them? And God was very angry and upset with Moshe over this. Tells us the Torah now that Moshe saw with his own eyes that they believed in God and they believed Moshe. So at this point in time, Moshe now does repent, he does tshuva for what he said, that they would not believe me. And he now acquiesces to the fact that they do believe in Moshe. Now that he's been forgiven by God totally, as Yashir Moshe. Then Moshe had now the right to sing. Until now he was scared. Until now he was being withheld the power of the singing. After the Shira, we find a very, very interesting end of the entire song and Miriam's song and the sweetening of the water. And the last Pasukolam all the sicknesses and diseases that I placed on the Egyptians, I will not put upon you. Ki ani Hashem Rofecha. Have a doubt? You ever have doubts in God? You ever have questions? Why? Why Torah? Why mitzvah? Why am I doing this? Why am I studying Torah? Why am I either logging on to a shir or going to a shir? Why? Where's, where, what does it have to do with me? How much are you going to convince me that going to shul, putting on tefillin, and davening, and the learning, and all this thing, how much are you going to try to convince me that it's really relevant? Where is God? I'd like, I'd like to give him a piece of my mind. Let Get him over here. Let's talk straight face to face. Let's talk Dugrish. So we ask the person, have we go to a doctor? So yeah. Let the doctor examine you because something bothers you? Yeah. They examine you from head to toe, right? They listen to your chest. Breathe in, breathe out, don't breathe, do breathe, move this way, move that way. Yeah. And then he just prescribes you a medication. Yeah. And you take it? Yeah. You're Meshigah. Where's the logic here? You're allowing this person to dictate what is going to go on with your body? Personally, I just went through the surgery. Pain. I'm sitting here in pain. I have Baruch Hashem. I can't say this on the internet. But I I was given Percocet for the pain. I don't take these things. They're not my style. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. Perkins said, I ain't taken. I'm not phasing out. It hurts? You scream. Last year when I had the surgery, I was in the ICU when they gave me a button to push. The surgeon tells me it's morphine. Whenever you're feeling a little bit of pain, you don't feel pain. Just push the morphine. Pump yourself. When they moved me out of the ICU, the doctor told me, you're a Michigana. He's a Greek. He says, you're a Michigana. So I said, why? This is the first time I ever took a patient after surgery like yours out of the ICU and half your morphine is still sitting there. He says, you should have been taking a second or a third bottle from the surgery you went through. And you left half of the first bottle. You're off your mind. Or bag, or whatever it is. I don't believe these things. I don't believe in medications like this. Guy tells me I have strep, I have this, I have that. Take. We look at Torah and Torah tells us, my friend, you go to a doctor with blind faith and you believe in your doctor that he tells you this is your ailment and you believe in your doctor who looked at you, examined you, took a little swab and took a little test and took a little... and you believe that they knew what they're saying 
and you don't believe that the creator of the world created all this and has this thing going. I am the God that does your healing. There are different sources, according to Kabbalah, where things come from. There's Arich, there's Ampin, there's Atik. The beard of a person represents what's called Arich. It's a very high source which deals with which deals with <laughs> someone's back. And as soon as he sees me, that's it. <laughs> the well-being of a person. There was a story of a cousin. It's okay. He's back. Are you back? Yes. Okay. I should see. Say hi to Shlomo. But not that's Manor. Cook, cook Shlomo. I should see. Sorry. <laughs> He's busy. Too many people around here. He can't understand. Hi. Oh, there he goes. <laughs> oh, look what I should see. Shlomo's waving to you. <laughs> the chassid is a doctor. Doctor Reb Avram. They called him Avram the doctor. But Avram the doctor never had any medical training. Never went to medical school. Intuition. And the Rebbe once was sitting, Avram the doctor was by the table. And the Rebbe told him, Rebbe Avrami says, Rebbe Avrami says, I don't understand any of the doctors. People go to doctors, they give them medications that hurt them, that hurt other parts of their bodies to make them better and everything. I don't understand. Who do they think they are, these doctors? says, in your case, that's not what happens. In your case, a patient comes to you and he just tells you his ailments and you put your hand in your bushy beard and you start to think, what can I give him? When you touch that beard, you're reaching into Arich. Arich is an acronym of the words Ani Hashem Lofecha. That I am God that heals. It's not Avram that's healing. It's not me, the doctor, that's healing. It's God that's making me a messenger to do the healing. This is gorgeous. We finished the Parsha with the story of Amalek. Amalek is the same numerical value as the word Safek. If ever... You missed his tongue. If ever you see that a person has a doubt about doing a mitzvah, it's the Amalek that comes along. Rashi tells us, <laughs> he's thinking out it. You see his tongue? Show him your tingle. I should see. Show him your tingle. Whenever in doubt, if a mitzvah comes to a person's hand and the person doubts it, this is the amolik of the person. This is the amolik attacking you. This is the amolik trying to come into your kishkes. Rashi tells us that amolik came, the Jews left Egypt, they were like a boiling pot of water, a boiling stream of water. And nobody would put their foot into it. But each person that would jump into it would get scolded and burnt, but it would cool it off for the second or for the third person thereafter. And this was the goal that Amalek had, to cool off, to try to cool off the Jewish nation. (laughs) 
you don't have any idea what's going on over here, Steve. You got too much competition. There's people all over the place that are trying to stick out their tongues to him, <laughs> make faces at him. So therefore, we have to also know that this Shabbos is called Shabbos Shira. And Shabbos Shira, the custom is to put down kasha for the birds. What about snow? So we put down kasha in the snow. We put down kasha for the birds. The birds had a big merit. One of the merits that said is when the splitting of the Red Sea, each nation, each tribe, went through a tunnel and the trees grew and the birds came off and took the fruit, fruits and gave it to the people. Another story is that there were a, a faction of people that wanted to disprove Moshe. And when Moshe said you cannot go out and take mana, collect mana on Shabbos, but on Friday you will have two portions, these people said, okay, we're going to prove him wrong. And on Friday evening, they secretly took some of their own mana, and they brought it out to the field. And in the morning, they said to everybody, come, come see, you'll see that there's still mana in the field. And the Pasuk says, they went out, they did not find. Now the truth is, it's not that matzu is wrong. It should be lehoya, there was none. Why lehoya? They didn't find. And this, therefore, tells us, that you see his tongue? <laughs> This therefore tells us the story that they put out the mun to try to prove Moshe wrong, and the birds came on early morning and they ate all the mun that was in the field. So when the Jews came out, and these two Jews tried to show the Jews that Moshe was lying, and Moshe was deceiving them, and there's still mun in the field, there was no mun to be found. So since the birds performed this miracle, this Kiddush Hashem, the sanctification, the sanctification of God's name. Therefore, we honor the birds on this Shabbos, known as Shabbos Shira. And Shabbos Shira, actually, B'Shalach, is a Rosh Tevis. I have to remember what the acronym for the word B'Shalach, whose name is our parsha, B'Shabbos Shira Lechol Chitim. And therefore, not only do we give the birds, but we ourselves eat Kasha on this Shabbos and that is a custom that we have because the Chitim represent the mana and this is what we have to remember so that we should ultimately be merit to this Shabbos Shira we should sing the 10th Shira with Mashiach Tzidkenu in Yerushalayim Amen.